Hello and welcome to another episode of Inside the Industry. And we are back for another week where we will take a sneak peek behind the curtain of the unsigned and independent scene in the UK. However, unlike the Barstool Music Show and our blog, which kind of take a peek at it from an artist's point of view, we will be discovering everything you need to know about the industry in the UK. We'll be talking to record labels, promoters, producers, anything. If they're supporting independent and unsigned music, we'll be talking to them and getting a little bit of an idea of what they do and how the sort of landscape of the music industry is changing, especially at the grassroots level. I've had some great interviews so far and I'm really excited to bring you this week's It is with the brilliant Ian Smith. He is part of a company called Last Night from Glasgow. They are a non-profit record label. Yes, you heard me right. Non-profit record label. They run a great kind of Patreon framework that is really paying dividends for them and also, and most importantly, paying off for their artists that they have signed. It was a great interview. We could have sat talking for hours and hours and hours, but um, it was great fun even to edit it back and listen to it again. I just kind of got caught up in listening to the whole thing again. So without further ado, let's get stuck into this week's Inside the Industry with Last Night from Glasgow. Let's take it away. So yes, Ian Smith from Last Night from Glasgow. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, no, it's, it's a pleasure to meet you. And I, I sort of like, I was really interested in kind of the um, project that you've set up with Last Night from Glasgow. So I wondered, could you kind of, to begin, give us a bit of background on it? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I guess it's an awful lot bigger now than we ever envisaged it would be. Yeah. And it now has three or four different arms. Oh, okay. But I guess the initial idea of LNFG was to try and create a record label that didn't do what record labels normally do. Yeah. Which is put the artist in best case scenario second or third in their list of priorities. Yeah. And get to a position that you're putting the artist first in your level of priorities. Yeah. Now there's lots of there's lots of labels out there who do put the artist first. Of course there are. But a lot of these labels operate in, in the best possible terms in a kind of cottage industry. Let's be cute and small and cuddly. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't really actually try and operate like a commercial entity. Yeah. yeah. What we wanted to do was create a record label, I guess, ultimately, that could operate in the big marketplace of being a proper distributing, uh, commercial, money-generating, profit-generating for artists label. Yeah. Whilst at the same time holding true to the basic principles of, of patronage and supporting the arts. Um, so when we, although these are all me looking back now and what I must have been thinking six years ago, <laughs> and quite easy to say, well, that was obvious. Yeah. At the time, our plan was, let's find a way of making a record where it doesn't cost the artist any money to make that record. Yeah. Let's find a way of starting the production of vinyl or the release of CDs or whatever it may be in a way that doesn't see the artist then being crippled with a debt they have to service. Okay, yeah. Because the conventional way for a record label to operate is they sign a band, the band say, here's our music, and the record label say, great, we'll make a record for you. Yeah. And then they take 
the cost of that record and it sits against the band as a debt. Yeah. And then they take the cost of marketing that record and it sits against the band as a debt. And then they take the cost of making a video and it sits against the band as a debt. And then they sell 500 records and turn around to the band and say, you haven't made any money. We've just recovered all the money we've spent. Yeah, you may have gone platinum, but you don't have anything to show for it. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, We didn't like that idea. Yeah. So we came up with this idea of building... Uh, patronage, if you like, of getting 50 to 100 music lovers together and having them ostensibly buy in advance all the records that we're going to release without knowing what those records are going to be. Yeah. But they were buying into a a concept of cooperation, a concept of socialism. Yeah. And then we would take all that money that they gave us and it would enable us to manufacture many more records than our patrons required. Yeah. So if we had 50 patrons, we could probably manufacture 300 records with their money. We could then clear the debt of that process yeah. by giving records to the patrons for free. Um... And then using all the extra records we've got to generate profit for the banks. Uh, it's, it's, it's so sounds... That's essentially how it works. If you're a patron, yeah. you give us 70 quid, we give you eight records. So those eight records are costing you nine pounds yeah which is a bargain because they would normally cost you 20 to 25 yeah (laughs) but nine pounds isn't what it costs to make a record if you're making 500 to a thousand records it probably costs three or four pounds to make a record yeah everyone giving us nine pounds is actually manufacturing two or three records yeah they're getting one for free and the other two or three that are being manufactured are then sold yeah in a really crude nutshell, that was the idea yeah. behind LNFT. No, it, it sounds it sounds like a, a really a sort of a, an amazing philosophy to kind of have. And as you said, like you didn't kind of expect it to bloom quickly. But was it one of those ideas that kind of once you approached one person, it was just bang, it just lifted off from there? Yeah, well, we, I mean, I guess you could say that. We yeah. started the business in February 2016. Yeah. And we were hoping to get... 50 patrons by the end of the year and we had 50 patrons by the end of the month. Ah. <laughs> uh, we finished the year with about 150. Wow. We're sitting just now with about 600. I'll be honest, I think 600 patrons from the population of the world is pretty small, to yeah. be honest. But <laughs> those 600 patrons have enabled us to grow to the fact we now have three other offshoot labels. Yeah. We're manufacturing and releasing, I mean, stupid amounts of records. We're yeah. going to, I think we're going to release 30 LPs this year. Oh, okay. That's... Now, when you think about that, that's yeah. more than one every two weeks. Yeah. That's a lot of records. Yeah. And I'm not saying we're going to release 30 LPs. These things are going to be coming out digitally. I'm talking about physical, physical vinyl manufacturing. Yeah. 30 LP. Yeah. I think we've got something like nine LPs coming out in November. Wow. Uh, so the thing's growing exponentially. Yeah. We've built in a specialist uh, kind of left of center label companist that only releases music that no one else will dream of releasing. Oh, okay. Uh, we've got a, we've got an associate label Hive, which is another non-profit which helps bands in a slightly different structure to the patronage model. Yeah. 
I, yeah. I won't explain why, but it's impossible to do everything in a patronage without devaluing everything you do. Mm. And then in the last year, we've set up a retrospective label that's reissuing classic albums from the past. Now, we're not running the reissue label on a non-profit basis. Yeah. We're running that reissue label to generate uh, some level of profit for the business, but we're still operating on a 75-25 split in favour of the artists. Yeah, which is which is really, really good. Well, I mean, I, I, if you're lucky, you might be lucky to get a 50-50 yeah. <laughs> from some record labels. And that'll be a 50-50 deal where your 50% is servicing the debt yeah. until it's paid off and their 50% is coming straight off the top line. Yeah. In our relationship, we put 100% of the revenue into servicing the debt. Yeah. And then once the debt is serviced, we split the pure profit and a band walks away with 75%. Yeah. So what that's done for us is it's brought bands like Trash Can Sinatra's and the Bluebells and the Skids. Yeah. And bands with really big profile to the label that's resulted in their fans buying records from our bands. So it's yeah. become this big, you know... Like a community. feeding community. Yeah. Uh, and it seems to be impossible to stop it from growing. I mean, every yeah. day we're signing new bands. Yeah. I think we've agreed five releases in the last week. Wow. No, it, it sounds like it's it's just caught fire. And it's obviously with you sort of signing sort of five new, like as you said, you've got five new this week. It's kind of, it feels like something the industry is kind of calling out for, especially at a grassroots level. Is, is that kind of something you've noticed that you've had quite an overwhelming response as regards to artists? Well, we do. I mean, the thing that's funny and frustrating about this, and maybe we'll come on to this when we talk about the state of the industry yeah. at large, but interestingly for us, you would think that we would be showered with appreciation and adoration from the grassroots music industry. Yeah. The truth of it is we're showered by appreciation and adulation from the established music industry. Okay. Uh, you know, bands like the Bluebells who were signed to London Records in the 80s or Trash Can Sinatra's who were signed to Go Discs in the 90s. Yeah. Are the skids who were signed to Virgin? Mm. These bands are now working with us and seeing how ethical and fair a record label can be. Yeah. And they're incredibly supportive and appreciative and understanding and loving about that. If you are a 18-year-old kid straight off the streets yeah. who's never been in a band before, and you walk into our environment, I mean no disrespect when I say this. Yeah. Your only experience of the music industry is an ethical, fair, yeah. reasonable record label. And you then start to think that everybody's like this. Yeah. And the truth of it is we're not. So we probably wrestle more with trying to keep the young, unknown bands happy because they are living in a world of social media and expectation yeah. about... You know, how many likes they get, how many clicks they get, how many folks say they're cool. Yeah, and you're yeah. working in an industry of trying to sell records. Yeah. Trying to sell tickets, trying to make money. Yeah. And none of that's about having four and a half thousand likes on Instagram. Yeah. And whether or not Zane of Radio Whatever said he thought your <laughs> album cover was cool. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the gra that's the thing that younger bands are gravitating towards. Yeah. 
oh, it's really important to us that so-and-so says we're cool. No, it's really important to you that you sell 17 copies of your album. That's yeah. what you should be worrying about. Old bands understand that. Younger bands think social media presence translates to money. Yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't. It's because they see so many, I think, like with the rise of things like TikTok and all sorts of, you see people kind of flash in the pan, make a buttload of money, but it, there's no, for me, staying power, if that makes well, there's sense. there's also how many billion people, you know, yeah. posted videos of them doing their makeup and singing to <laughs> a piece of music before the Life Without Buildings one, yeah. you know, caught fire. Yeah. And since the Life Without Buildings one caught fire, how many billion people have been trying to generate precisely the same thing? Yeah. Things will happen. But when, you know, when I was growing up, you got one hit wonders in the music industry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pop up have a number one single, sell truckloads and disappear. Yeah. And other people would try and emulate it. Yeah. The people trying to emulate it never got anywhere. <laughs> and the ones that realised it was a one-hit wonder ignored it and continued going about their business the way they should. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to manage expectations of people whose expectations are high yeah. and whose real experience is low yeah it's very easy to manage people whose expectations are low and real experiences are high <laughs> yeah yeah like someone so when you have a band that have been signed to a label yeah know the old take, school yeah when yeah. you take a band like love and money who we've signed and who we're re-releasing love and money were signed to parlophone in the 80s yeah they toured the world they stayed in luxury hotels they made videos in the mojave desert they probably made the sum total of zero money from their record sales. And I mean zero money yeah. from records. They would have had advances. Yeah. They would have enjoyed themselves. But the <laughs> excuse me, but the net balance of their relationship with their record company would be them owing their record company money. Yeah. Their net balance of their relationship with us come the end of this year will be us sending them money. Yeah. It, it, Who are they happier with? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's one of those where, like you said, it's having the experience of that mainstream, that kind of sort of, as you said, working for, you expect all this success, but then at the end of the day when it's all said and done, there's nothing left over to fall back on. To then find a company like yours, they're going to jump at the chance because it's like, we can still do what we love and actually in, like get some something at the end of it all and have something to fall back on well, and even break even yeah yeah make a small net profit yeah but not you know the record labels back in the 80s were making a fortune off these bands yeah but the bands themselves were not and record labels today are still making a fortune off bands yeah i remember having a conversation with an artist about a year ago mm. who was asking me to explain to them why our approach to marketing this person yeah. was different to, for example, FKE Twig's approach to marketing FKE Twix. Yeah. And you're saying, well, on one hand, this is a million selling artist. Yeah. And on the other hand, this is a million selling artist whose company will be spending two or three hundred thousand pounds marketing this. Yeah. That two or three hundred thousand pounds being spent marketing isn't being spent as a gift. Yeah. You know, it's it's being spent and then it's being taken out of all the proceeds 
of a record. Yeah. So as you know, a record's going to sell money, you can spend more money marketing it, but it's not, it doesn't magic itself out of thin air. It doesn't come from a sugar daddy. Yeah. It doesn't come from a crock of gold at the end of a rainbow. Yeah. It comes from your record sales. Yeah. And a lot of young bands don't seem to understand this. Do you think that's like kind of, not not a fault, because that's probably the wrong word, but like the, because a lot of young bands now, as you say, like 16, 18 year olds in bands, it's sort of the Spotify generation where it's like streams and there's not really kind of an emphasis on physical releases anymore. So there's not well, that kind of money angle to it. I think, I think what it comes down to actually is that the the industry in the 70s and 80s, for example, yeah. if you got a band, I'm trying to think of a band who might have broken by the fourth or fifth album, but I can't think of anyone offhand. But, you know, something like Nick Drake, for example, yeah. signs to Island Records in the late 60s. He doesn't, I mean, he, he his career ends because he kills himself. Yeah. It's not exactly a great story to yeah. tell. But... In that time of being with Island Records, yeah. he never sold any records that made any real money. Yeah. But Island Records kept releasing his records. Yeah. They weren't in a situation where they said to him after his debut album, well, not enough people have bought it, you're dropped. Yeah. So in the 70s and 80s, record labels looked at careers of artists and invested in careers of artists. Yeah. I don't think they do that anymore at all. But also record labels in the 70s had A&R men. They had pluggers. They had press officers. They had promoters. They had marketing departments. They had merchandising departments. Yeah. So when you were signed to Ireland, all of this was provided by Ireland. Now, Ireland would have been charging you for all of it, but it was all being provided as part of the job of getting your music out there. Yeah. As record labels started to shed costs, They've started shedding A&R departments. They've started shedding pluggers. Yeah. They've started shedding press officers. They've started shedding tour officers. Mm. So what you've got now is you've got a plugger who used to be employed by Rough Trade yeah. is now freelance. Yeah. That plugger who used to get paid by Rough Trade is now looking to get paid by artists. Yeah. How is he convincing artists to give him money? By telling them if they give him money, he'll make them famous. Yeah. How do press officers get money? By telling artists, if they give him money, he'll make them famous. Yeah. How do tour managers get money? By telling artists, if you give him money, he'll organise the best tours for you. Yeah. And how do venues get money? By telling artists, if they play their venues, they'll give them more exposure. Yeah. So what you've got as an artist today is in the 70s, you'd sign to a label and the label behind the scenes would do all this work for you. Yeah. Before you even sign to a label today, you've got 50 vultures running around <laughs> you saying, you need to appoint me to yeah. handle your press. You need to appoint me to plug your music. You need to appoint me to organise your gigs. It's the culture that drives bands playing free concerts. Yeah. Why the hell is any band in the world ever playing a free concert unless it's for charity? Yeah. If your fans don't want to pay to come and see you live, then don't play concerts. Yeah. You know, if no one wants to buy your records, don't make records. Yeah. But there's this idea that, hang on, if we play to 200 people for free, maybe next time those people will come and see us live. Yeah, it's kind of like that hope that if we do it just this once, 
next time we can charge and maybe make some money the next time. But why are they playing for free? They're playing yeah. for free because the venue want 200 people and they're buying drink. Yeah. And the promoter wants 200 people to see their name. Yeah. So everybody else is making money, but the artist is being told you shouldn't make anything. Yeah. So I think what's happening is that young bands are hearing all their friends talking to pluggers and press officers and tour managers and that's their expectation. Yeah. And they see, they think, well, in order to be famous, we've got to get the line of best fit to say our album's good. And hang on, we better get so-and-so to premiere our video. And then we've got to get this and we've got to get that. And yeah. sit behind them saying, you need to sell tickets and you need to sell records. Yeah. Let's sell 100 records and 100 tickets and you'll make £2,000. Yeah. Yeah. That's where your focus should be. Yeah, it, it's hanging back yeah, to the point in question. Established bands know that's where their focus can be. Yeah, because they know what they're in this for. They're in this to make money, and well, they're in it because they love music. But why should they not make money? It's yeah. their job. Well, yeah, of course, yeah. they should get paid. Actors don't act for free. Yeah. You know, <laughs> people, you know, playwrights don't write plays for free. Yeah. Authors don't give their books away. Why are musicians perpetually giving their music away? And giving their time away for nothing. It's it's almost like it's it's given away on the promise of something bigger. Yet you can't. It's like when you see all these kind of Spotify playlist adverts. I, I get quite a lot on my feed because I've got yeah. quite a lot of sort of follow a lot of bands and things, and they promise yeah. we can get you five thousand. But you can't you can't really promise other people will like what you're doing because music is so subjective. So to kind well, of also there's a there's a real there's a real insidious horrible lie at the heart of that, mm. and it's an insidious horrible lie that seems to exist in music and nowhere else. So I, for example, you know, I, although I run LNFG, I have a job, and my job is running an insurance company. Yeah, that might surprise you, <laughs> but I run an insurance company, and in that job, I make money when I deliver results. Yes. I don't make money on the promise of trying to deliver results. Yeah. So if a customer comes to me and asks me to engage with their business, they only pay me if I'm successful in being appointed to look after them. Yeah. I have to expend money convincing them of my talents. I have to do work to prove to them that I can be successful. Yeah. And if I do that and they appoint me, the money that I've spent trying to win their business comes out of the money I earn. Yes. They don't pay me to try and win their business. But you're a plugger, or better still, you're a press company. Yeah. I can write to you and say, if you give me £1,500, I'll try and get your song in Radio 6. Yeah. They don't say, if I get your song in Radio 6, pay me £1,500. Yeah. Now, if they did that, that would be a transparent offer of service for a return of money. Yes. But we don't have that. No, You've no. got to throw your cash at me and I'll see what I yeah. can do. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's the problem that causes. If you're band number one and a press officer comes to you and says, give me a thousand pounds and I'll do your work and you give them a thousand pounds and you're their only client, they're probably going to work your account pretty hard. Yeah. But once they get two clients, they're going to work your account half as hard. By the time they've got four clients, 10 clients, 30 clients, it gets to a point 
then why do they bother even having to work your account? Yeah. You're paying them a thousand pounds. All they've got to do is send an email out and send you a spreadsheet every month saying we tried these 74. <laughs> they all said no. Yes. And artists seem to think this is a worthwhile speculative investment. Yeah. Well, this week, Sister John just appeared in Uncut magazine and just appeared in Record Collector magazine. Yeah. Do you know how much money we spend getting them in Uncut and Record Collector? Nothing. We wow. worked it. The yeah. band worked it. Yeah. We made contacts. We worked those contacts. Yeah. Uh, the band made contacts. They worked those contacts. It might have taken us three years from not being an uncut to appearing in uncut. Yes. But we got there without paying an intermediary to get us there. Yeah, and not even like a guarantee. It would have been like you pay them and they're like, I'll, I'll try, I'll try. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is, seems to be, it just seems to be the nature that all the supporting business that should be making money off bands' success are now making money off bands' speculative success. Yeah. And they're all making cash and the bands are getting shafted. Yeah. Well, I, I've, I've seen it loads. Like, um, I talked to a few people and they're, they're like having offers come in, like, give me £20 and I'll put you on my Instagram story because I've got like 1.1 million followers. And it's, yeah. it's like when you then look at the engagement of these people, they've got like three people liking it because about a million of them are just fake robot awesome. accounts yeah. and it's it's that again i think it kind of people like like you said the culture of likes follows all that sort of you think that because they've got a larger following they're going to be better but it, that doesn't always correlate it's, it's an it's an incredible frustration I, i'm generally of a mind that if you start on a path and at the end of the path you're relatively happy with how you what you did yeah you can probably call that pathway a success yes and then you can reflect and say could we do things a little better? Yeah. Could we tweak things? Could we improve things? For us, what's interesting is we can start down a pathway and think at the end of it, it's been hugely successful and all it will take is one plugger or press officer or company to whisper in the ear of the band that they could have done better. Mm. And the band will be inclined to go, do you think so? Yeah. That's interesting. And it's, I mean, I guess it's ambition is the enemy of loyalty. Yeah. And ambition is the enemy of common sense. Yeah. It's uh, it's that they'd, I, they'd rather have an, a name than maybe someone who's going to work hard for them kind of thing. Well, they'd also rather have someone saying to them, you're going to be famous in two years. Yeah. <laughs> and ultimately not be famous in two years than have someone saying to them, you're not going to be famous in two years and then not being famous in two years. Yeah. Because at least the guy who tells them they're going to be famous fans their ego for two years. Yeah. I would say it makes much more sense to be realistic and pragmatic. Yeah. Sign a band and say, we're going to try and get you to sell out a 200 capacity venue and we're going to try and sell 500 copies of a record. Yeah. That seems achievable. Yeah. We're going to get you headlining Glastonbury. Seems ludicrous. <laughs> but if you've got someone saying to a band, hey, if you follow me, I'll get you doing this, 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 and then at the end of the day, you'll be headlining Glastonbury. Yeah. It doesn't take much but blind ambition for you to believe that. Yeah, it's it's, it's that like, oh, I, I, it's, it's almost like you said, you'd rather take the chance on that payoff 
because then if it doesn't come off, it's like ah, oh, well, it was kind of a bit ambitious, but then it's kind of but then it's it's a waste again of their time, money, and they've just been left holding the bag, kind of thing. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a sad state of affairs. Mm. So you know, you go back to the initial question of what drove us to do this. What drove us to do this was witnessing this. Yeah. Witnessing the fact that you're a young band, you record an album. How much did it cost to record it? Probably two or three thousand pounds. Yeah. You're now paying a thousand pounds to get it mixed and six hundred pounds to get it mastered. Yeah. And even then, when you've done all that, it's going to cost you three thousand pounds to turn it into a record. Yeah. And it's going to cost you two thousand pounds to market the record. Yeah. And suddenly, before you get, excuse my dog in the background, suddenly, <laughs> before you get to the end of the year, you haven't made any money and you're eight grand in debt. Yeah. Well, that just doesn't seem right to me. No. Back in the old days, a record label would pay all that for you. Yeah. And they would give you an advance and they'd keep you going. You'd be amassing debt and you'd never repay the debt, but they would be supporting you whilst you amassed that debt. Yeah. No one is supporting these young bands. They're just being asked to dig deeper and deeper and find more money. Yeah. And find more ways of supporting this and more ways of funding stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it just seems wrong to me. Yeah. It, well, it's like you said, it's kind of like one of the, the few industries where it is sort of a, a speculative industry. Like it's not about the hard work that's gone into what somebody's done to create a product. It's kind of you prove yourself, then we'll kind of think about doing something where you get some money out of it kind of thing and do you think it's more like maybe the industry is not as transparent as it should be as a whole I don't think the industry is terribly transparent Mm. I don't think the industry is filled with people who ultimately care about the end goal yeah they care about the short term job they're trying to do from the very bottom to top it's filled with people who are trying to get an immediate result. Yeah. No one's thinking about, this is good, it deserves support. They're thinking, will this satisfy the immediate need we have? Yeah. Uh, in terms of, you know, transparency, I don't think there's any more or less transparency than there ever was. If you signed a contract that said you were going to make 2% of every record you sold, you might not have understood that. Yeah. But it wouldn't have been hidden at the bottom of a staircase in a filing cabinet, yeah. you know, in a dark room where the lights didn't work, it would have been in front of you in a contract. Yeah. Uh, sure, bands are getting shafted left, right and centre. Sure, bands don't understand rights and PRS and PPL and all the things they're meant to understand. Yeah. And one of the big problems we have is when a band signed to LNFG, within the first 20 minutes, we sit down and explain PRS and MCPS, PPL, and all the things they need to understand. And more often than not, they sit looking at you saying, you mean we've all got to sign up for PRS? (laughs) You mean we've all got to do record our gigs so we can pull PRS and PPL from radio performance and whatnot? They generally don't seem to know. So if we are not telling them this, how many people are running around behind the scenes exploiting this lack of information? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I dare say a great many. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean, but because for me, when I've been sort of started this kind of industry podcast, I've noticed that coming across sort of looking at the smaller sort of grassroots level, there seems to be a, a more building up of sort of community-based sort of 
projects and things like that that are trying to sort of teach new musicians these kinds of things is it something that maybe you've noticed um sort of more people kind of sort of pulling together and coming at it from a community angle i think i'm gonna choose my words carefully here (laughs) i think wherever the end ambition of the provider is that that it be a viable business opportunity for them yes you have the risk that the user of the facility is going to get shafted somewhere along the way Mm. so i know that in scotland we have a couple of organizations that purport to run industry events that will teach you how to make it as a musician in the current climate yeah, but what they're really doing is selling conference tickets so they can make a buck. Yeah. I mean, you can you can offer to give advice, and sure, people should earn money. People have a right to earn a living. Yeah. But if that living is being earned at the expense or at the suggestion of helping, so I'm all for community organisations getting together and collaboratives getting together and bands getting together and working out how to help each other. Yeah. But someone coming along and saying, give me £40 and I'll invite you to sit in a room for eight hours yeah. and listen to the head of Sony tell you <laughs> how he made George Michael successful in 1983. Yeah. Well, that's you just buying a ticket for an event. Yeah, yeah. It's quite and a you're fine not getting line. anything from that. Yeah. Oh, I got to network. Bloody great. You got to network. You'd be better off standing in a pub networking with audience members and getting them to buy your records. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think the, the problems in the music industry have created a need for certain people to spring up who can help bands, but the great many folk who sprung up to help bands have thought, how can I make a career out of this? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with thinking, how can I make a career out of something? Yeah. But the minute you start thinking about the service you're providing needing to pay your salary, it totally changes the way you structure your business. Yeah. So when we set up last night from Glasgow, we set it up not expecting it to pay any salaries. Yeah. Not expecting it to generate any profit. Yeah. Now that we're nearly six years down the line and our turnover is approaching quarter of a million Mm. and we've got 50 artists signed to the label, we are now thinking... This needs staff. Yeah. We need people to work for us who are going to get paid because this is a big job now. Yeah. Had we started LNFG trying to raise salaries, we'd have gone on a completely different path because we'd have been thinking, how do we make money that will pay for the people we've employed? Yes. How are we going to make this turn a profit? Yeah. Whereas what we've done is we've found ourselves turning a profit and thinking, okay, now's the time that we'll employ someone. Yeah. And that person that we employ can now do the job to a greater extent or more professionally, thus delivering a better service yeah. to bands. And I think anyone that starts up any business knows the anxiety is, how am I going to make this work? Yeah. Well, if you're going to start up any advice service where your first concern is how am I going to make any money, yeah. it's going to change how you deliver advice. Yeah. It's all going to be about cash generation and not about trust generation. It's all going to be about you know the passing on of 
commercially viable advice as opposed to the passing on of correct, sensible advice. Yeah. So it skews how you operate. Yeah. So in answering your question, yeah, there's some great little community collabs kicking about and there's some really horrible vultures. Yeah, there's still a long, long way to, to go. Nice little cute community collabs. Yeah. And they're not that at all. Yeah. It, well, it's like you said, if it, it's finding that, that line between being able to make a career of it, but then not compromising the original philosophy behind why you started what you started. And we see we see press companies contacting us saying that we're trying to be different and our cost base is sensible. Mm. And we'll chat to them and we might engage one now and then. We might engage one full time at some point because the job's so big. Yeah. But the entities that turn up with their price list already printed out and their spreadsheet and report pamphlets, you just know these people are not at all aware of what the music industry is like. Mm. And they could be selling washing machines <laughs> or selling vans. I mean, it makes no difference to them. Yeah. It's just a marketing commodity that they're presenting. Yeah. Oh, no. Like I say, it just sounds amazing, kind of, what you've done. Has, has he, have you found sort of engagement from outside of Scotland as the years have gone on as well, like bands have come in from various other countries and things? Yeah, well, we've we've got a band from New York in the label. Yeah. We've got a couple of English bands in the label. We've got a Canadian artist in the label. Uh, as far as the re-release label goes, we're talking to two Irish bands just now. Yeah. And they've both agreed to work with us. We've just signed a band from the States. Yeah. We've got a couple of English artists uh, going to join us. Uh, we're a little bit... You know, kiboshed by the fact we have the word Glasgow in our title that <laughs> makes people think we're a Glasgow record label. Yeah. And not that we're ABBA fanatics, which is what it actually means. <laughs> uh, yeah. But we also needed to have something. I mean, it's funny. No one looks at London records and thinks they only deal with bands from London. Yeah, I know what you and mean. No one looks at Motown and thinks they only sign bands from Detroit. Yeah. So we don't need there to be. Uh, a Glasgow connection. There was a dog again. Yeah. We don't need there to be a Glasgow connection for us to function. Yeah. Uh, but I think a lot of artists expect that to be the case. Yeah. But yeah, we're getting, we're trying to get more and more uh, non-Scottish artists engaged. Lockdown's been great in some sense for us because it's broken down that sense that you need to be near to someone to work with them. Yeah. Because we've been having to do so much by the internet and Zoom and telephone. Yeah. That if we're doing that with someone who's five miles away or someone that's 5,000 miles away, it's exactly the same process to both bands. Yes. It makes absolutely no difference. I know, I know so what yeah, you mean. Yeah, we'd love to do more. Yeah, because I don't mean, like, with the lockdowns and all, do you think, again, that's kind of given artists the kind of chance to kind of sort of explore the more DIY elements for themselves and kind of learn a bit more about marketing and things like that like do you think that the lockdown in the long run will have an impact on the younger bands and how they i hope it's had some positive effects on some i think it's had a tremendously negative effect yeah. on many uh my primary hope is that the bands who have not played live for the last year will suddenly realize how much better off they are yeah having not been playing gigs that were losing them money Yes. There's a number of bands that are told, oh, come and play a show, we'll give you 40 quid, and it takes them 60 quid to get there, and they yeah. buy their dinner. <laughs> yeah. 
And they think that's a great, oh, I got 40 quid to play a gig. Why did you do that? You were there for five hours. There's four of you in the band, so you were all in two pounds an hour. Are you mental? Yeah, yeah. So I kind of hope that the lack of gigs will have shown what a false economy is. Yeah. I rather hope that the venues who were reliant on heavily exploiting bands have gone tits up and won't be here any longer. Mm. I hope that's good. Um, yeah. I think it's opened up the idea of recording at home. Yeah. We did an entire double album last year of our bands being asked to record the song at home. Yeah. Which had been written by another one of our bands. And we pulled that together in a double album and sold it and gave all the profits to record shops and venues that were struggling. Yeah. We managed in the space of a month to get 23 bands to record 23 songs. Wow. And it was all done at home. It was mixed at home. It was mastered yeah. at home. And we got it manufactured on a record and did it all inside two or three months. Wow. That showed our bands the the benefits and functionality and viability of all of this. Yeah. But at the same time, those bands who are absolutely dependent upon, you know, contact with fans. Yeah. And the need to really interact, I think it's been devastating for a lot of them. Yeah. And the bands. I don't think small bands are in any way reliant upon touring. I think touring is a drain on small bands. Yeah. But I think those mid-level bands who needed to tour to actually make money, uh, I think lockdown's been a killer for them. Yeah. And I think the culture of playing free gigs on Facebook, I mean, honestly, if everybody that plays a free gig on Facebook could line up so I could give them all an individual slap for doing it, <laughs> What yeah. were you trying to achieve, but suddenly saying to the world, you don't have to pay to see me? Yeah. I mean, what? I, I don't understand this. Yeah. Need to give away your, you know, your MI, your your your, your product, the, the thing that traditionally is the thing you sell. Why are we going, yeah, you can have it for free and streaming and you can watch me free and... Facebook and oh, if you really fancy, you can pop down to the local pub and see me play there for free. Yeah, I, I think that's where the kind of battle between wanting to sort of be successful and, and make a bit of money from the career you've chosen to the kind of culture that we're in now where it is all about streaming and constantly being visible. Like you can't like, unless you're someone like say Ed Sheeran or something, you can't just duck out for a year. And then come back with a single release, and you, it still makes it massive. But it's a it's a good point that though, because Sheeran is somebody who created, if you like, that blueprint on how to do it, much in the same way as Bieber did it in Canada. Yeah, you know. Now, having done that, it's already been done. Yeah, and you've got this whole proliferation of. Kids with acoustic guitars and loop pedals. Yeah. Going, well, it worked for Sheeran. The fact that it worked for Sheeran is why it won't work for you. Yeah. Music comes in trends. You know, punk died because everyone was trying to replicate punk. New Wave died because everyone was trying to replicate New Wave. New Romantic died because everyone was trying to replicate it. Yeah. These movements run a course and they come back later on, but it runs in a wave yeah. of, of ups and downs. Everyone who thinks who thinks the Sheeran uh, blueprint should be their blueprint is absolutely missing the point that it only worked for him. Yeah, it, you know, in the same way as 
Billy Eilish's plan only worked for her. Yeah. And many million other versions of her were there around Glasgow, trying to connect Glasgow, sorry, around the world, yeah. trying to connect with the emo kids. Yeah. You know, so it's just this bizarre idea of, well, we've seen one person pull it off, so I'll give it a try. Yeah. The problem is a billion folk give it a try, thus completely watering down the possibility of any of them being successful. Yeah. And that's, I guess, a big problem with Spotify All In is that all you need is garage band and an internet contact and you can upload an album. Yeah. And now you're a fully-fledged recording artist. Only three folk have listened to it yeah. and that was your mum three times. <laughs> but hey, I've got an album on Spotify. Yeah, yeah. That's... Taking up, you know, how yeah, I've applied for playlisting. Yeah. You know, well, I've done this, so I've got my Spotify. I'm telling folk to pre-save the link to their, 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 their account every week. The world's just this enormous pile of noise. So as a fan, you're getting 20 pre-link saves a week. Yeah. You're getting 20 playlisting appearances a week. The way you differentiate yourself is by doing something, as the word would suggest, different. Yeah. And that's what we are trying to do. Yeah. Let's stop worrying about streaming. To hell with Spotify. Yeah. Just ignore them. Let's sell records. Yeah. But no matter how hard we try to do that, you still have bands phoning saying, can we get a pre-save link for our Spotify? <laughs> you know, we might, well, we're really worried about those 300 followers not being able to hear our music. Yeah. Tell them to buy a bloody record. Yeah. Tell them to buy a record player and buy a record. Yeah. Tell them to buy a CD player and buy a CD. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. And, and it's been a pleasure talking with you and I could just talk for hours and hours and hours but um clearly as could I yeah <laughs> but no Ian it's been terrific talking to you and if sort of anybody would like to kind of find out more about Last Night from Glasgow or maybe any young band list might want to kind of show an interest in your structure yep. and that sort of how would they go about getting in touch well they can get in touch via our website yep. which is obviously www.lastnightfromglasgow.com yep uh and they'll find email links and WhatsApp links and they'll find us on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, they can find us on Twitter. They can find us on Instagram. All I would say to any bands that are thinking of getting in touch, I find that to any band thinking of getting in touch with anyone, yeah. the worst thing you can do is turn up to a record label with a set plan of what you're doing. Mm. Because 99% of record labels will not have the time or inclination to operate to your plan. Yeah. What you should really be doing is getting in touch with record labels long before you even do that. Yeah. So if you're going into the studio to record a new album, that's when we want to hear from you. Yeah. We don't want to hear from you once you've recorded it, mixed it, mastered it, done the artwork, planned the marketing campaign, and released the first three singles. Yeah. It's, so get in early. Yeah. It takes nearly a year to make a record now. Physically, to get the damn thing manufactured is taking seven months. <laughs> if it's seven months to manufacture it and three months to plan it, it's a year before it's going to come out. Yeah. So don't contact us saying we're releasing our new album Spotify next month and we'd like you to help us. Yeah. Because we're not we're not going to help you. Yeah. If people like the idea of getting involved as a patron, then they can do that again from the same link. Yeah. Uh, and I would encourage them to do so because they get a load of records, they get to be part of a community and they get to make a little change to the music industry. Yeah. 
Brilliant. Well, Ian, it's been amazing talking to you, and I wish you all the best. Absolute pleasure. With the upcoming releases and everything else. Thank you. Great. Have a good remainder of the day. Yes, and you. Thank you very much. Just pal, take care. Great, cheers. So there you have it. That was my interview with the brilliant Ian Smith from Last Night from Glasgow. It's just an amazing philosophy that he's got. And I think he's really going to shape the landscape, especially in sort of Scotland where he's based. But hopefully further afield as well. He's already got some great bands signed to his label and even more sort of, I'm guessing, banging on the door, desperate to be a part of this sort of innovative idea. And I know there are lots of other labels out there doing the same thing, maybe in their own different way. However, it's just, again, a great thing to see. Just more and more people doing it and following in the footsteps of Ian and his team. And I just wish them all the best as we move forward. As he said, feel free to get in touch with him if you would like to. Um, We will be dropping a track next up, which is a band from his label. And I've been told it is a world premiere. So yeah, you heard that here first. But before I introduce that track, um, just to kind of do a bit of admin, if you have liked this episode, please do feel free to hit subscribe on our podcast channel so you get all our other great content. And please feel free to check out our previous episodes. Plus, feel free to leave a review if you'd like, because you know every review helps and kind of helps me to know if whether I'm bringing to you is good or not good. You know, it always helps. You can also contact me, barcelonamusicuk at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. Or if you're an industry member yourself and would like to kind of get on here and promote what you're doing then feel free to let me know via there too and as always you can follow us on social media at barstool underscore music for instagram and twitter at barstool music uk for facebook once again i've been luke knowles you've been listening to the inside the industry podcast with my interview with last night from glasgow's ian smith coming up now we have the world premiere of the latest single from sister john it is called sound of you and if you do like it as always go show them your support by giving them a like and a follow but also head over to last night from glasgow and purchase the single for yourself and get a little piece of history in your back pocket so until next week i've been luke knowles you've been listening to inside the industry keep safe and i'll see you again soon
Yeah.